Hello and welcome to the latest Moneymakers podcast with me, Jonathan Davis. Today I'm joined by Stephen Eckett, the editor and publisher of the Harriman Stock Market Almanac, uh, an annual publication which is a uh, a must-read for all uh, fans of stock market investing. It combines a uh, mixture of uh, some trivial but amusing anecdotes and facts about the stock market with some more uh, interesting analysis of trends that recur each year and other kind of anomalies that we're going to talk about, things that uh, theoretically at least you can make uh, some money out if you're aware of. So, Stephen, I'd like to start by um, today is we're recording this on uh, the 14th of December. Today is um, we're about 10 days away from Christmas. Uh, and therefore, it seems a very good moment to um, to ask you about one of the uh, phenomena that you describe in the almanac, which is the so-called Santa rally. Can you explain what that is and uh, and uh, what its impact can be? Right. Yes. Um the, the Santa Rally might be a little bit associated with just general strength of the market at the end of the year. Uh, the, the market tends to be very strong in December anyway. So the December is the second strongest month for the, um, for the market after, after April. And this has been a, a fixed market for decades now. Um, interestingly, though, the last two years, um, 2013 and 2014, 14, um, or rather 2014-2015, and the market was actually down in December. That was very, very unusual, so it'll be interesting to see what it does this year. Uh, and that might be a little bit associated with something called the sell-in-May effect, and the Americans call it the Halloween effect, where the market tends to sort of pick up and be quite strong after November. Uh, now, actually, in December itself, although the market tends to be strong in December, the first couple of weeks can actually be quite week and at that point many people are asking well where's the so-called Santa effect and what the Santa rally tends to be is in the 10th around about 10th trading day of the of December um, which is actually today the 14th of December uh, the market tends to turn around after the initial two weeks of witness and be very strong in fact accelerate towards the end of the um, end of the month, the strongest two or three day period of the whole year tends to be the brief period between Christmas and, and New Year when the market rises astonishingly um, strongly and very reliably in most years. So the Santa Rally does exist, um, has existed for, for decades. And it's this, um, it's this two week period of strength at the, at, at the very end of the, of the year. Um, as with many of these anomalies, the, the reason for the Santa Rally is, um, is not well known. There are plenty of theories about this, but it's not particularly well known apart from, like some technical indicators, it becomes self-reinforcing after it's been in the market for a little while. Everyone expects it. People know that um, it's there and they, and they therefore take, uh, take steps to try and profit right. from it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there are sort of various reasons for it that um, people are tidying up their portfolios. Um, uh, At the end of the year, they don't want to be seen holding some sort of dodgy small stocks. And so they jettison those and pile into more respectable, larger stocks, which can have a greater influence on the on the indices. Um, Whether that's really the, the underlying cause, I don't know. But that's one of the things that said. Well, as as we say many things about the market, the um, 
it's often more helpful to conclude that the reasons are mysterious. Otherwise, if they were logical and easy to understand, they would uh, uh, everybody would be aware of them and they would not uh, take place. That at least is the is the theory. I think you also point out in the almanac another sort of feature of this the is that um, there are some stocks which have consistently done particularly well in the Santa Rally. Um, you list them uh, in the almanac, and over the last um, ten years, I can tell you what they what they are. The um, it's something which would again we might look out for this year, see whether the the, the theme persists. Um, you list ten shares. You've got uh, Ashstead, National Express, First Group, Croda, Informa, PZ Cussons, Vesuvius, Page Group, G forty five, and Spectris. And those are the, the ten stocks that have um, produced the highest average returns over the second half of December, which is your Santa Rally period. Now, is that does? Do you think that actually is uh, just a statistical anomaly, or is there actually some reason why those particular stocks might do uh, well in in this period? Uh, good, yes, good question. Um, I have no particular reason why those particular ten stocks seem to perform. Well, there's an element of just sort of data mining here, obviously, but it is just a fact that over the last 10 years, those 10 stocks you mentioned have just performed extremely well in this final two weeks of the year. I think that all of those stocks have been up, um, have had positive returns in the last two weeks of every year since some um, 2005, 2006, something like that. It's a pretty... Um, broad spectrum of stocks, those 10 stocks, there's nothing particularly to see in common between them. Um, they're not all in one sector, for example. Um, so um, that's just it. So, so that's just a way to sort of supercharge the Santa rally, really, to play that in that the market in general goes up in the final two weeks of the year. And those 10 stocks are, are a way to sort of supercharge that, um, that, that, that effect. Um, well, that's interesting. That's interesting because, it, of course, we could we could sort of marry that with another phenomenon that comes around uh, in December, typically. Um, and it so happens that today we are on the uh, second day of a meeting of the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee, which is the uh, a meeting of the interest rate setting body in the United States, uh, the Committee of the Federal Reserve. Now, there is a phenomenon around Fed meetings, which I think is quite interesting, um, after each meeting, the uh, the Federal Reserve puts out a statement about what is decided and uh, a short statement about the reasons for increasing or not increasing or cutting interest rates. Can you um, tell us something about that phenomenon? Yes, well, there's a few things around the um, the FOMC announcements. They are incredibly um, important, of course. They do have a strong effect on the um, on the market. On the days around the particular announcement itself, um, the market, and when I say the market here, I, um, in the almanac I'm normally referring to the UK market, but the, um, the UK market really does follow so, so closely the US market. The correlation is so high nowadays, it's been increasing every decade since the 1980s, that um, uh, in some ways, independent analysis of the UK market is almost moot because it follows so closely the, the American market. So a lot of the analysis in the almanac is actually taking uh, an analysis of the US market and seeing how it applies in the UK market. Uh, so both, the, so just about everything I'm saying here applies equally to the US and the UK market. 
Uh, now, regarding the FOMC announcements, there's a very strong trend that on the day of the announcement itself, the market tends to be very, very strong. Um, and that is, that is quite a feature. Um, now, regarding the timing of the FOMC uh, announcement, there's something called the FOMC cycle, which is an extraordinary uh, thing. And this is, says that in the, um, the weeks following the announcements, um, there's enormous difference in the performance of the market in the even weeks from the odd weeks. And this is rather sort of uh, a strange one. Um, that um, just looking at the S&P 500, uh, since 1994, if we had a portfolio that only invested in the even weeks after the announcements, um, that portfolio today would would be up 700%, whereas the um, the odd portfolio would have have had negative returns. And that's not really a practical example because it would be difficult to implement that um, strategy because of tran uh, transaction costs. You can't sort of nip in and out of the market that frequently. But still, there is an enormous difference between the performance of the market following those announcements in the, um, in the eight weeks or so after them, um, until the next announcement, um, between the even and odd weeks. And I haven't, I don't think I've heard of a, of, of a, of a, a good reason for that. But anyway, that's just an anomaly that's, um, that's out there. Presumably, though, these are some of these anomalies are the kind of things that, if you were um, running a, uh, uh, if you if you might like to call a kind of robotic portfolio, you know, some of these uh, uh, algorithmic portfolios that uh, sophisticated uh, hedge funds and others run, these are exactly the kind of um, anomalies that you could actually uh, discover and act on, um, given some adequate risk controls, and that. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at it as a, as a we've we done some kind of explicit analysis here, or you've done some explicit analysis. But um, these are theoretically things that if you've got enough computing power, you could uh, possibly hope to make some money out of. Yes, yes, very, very much. I think the majority of these anomalies are not necessarily anomalies that can be easily exploited by um, simple um, investing strategies. Um, some can, some can sort of, um, for example, the, uh, the most famous uh, anomaly of all, really, most persistent and most bizarre is the sell in May effect. That, yes. uh, as I mentioned before, is, is, um, has now become sort of linked up the American Halloween effect um, and sometimes referred to as the six month effect. And that describes the, 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 the extraordinary outperformance of market for the six months from November to April over the performance of the market in the rest of the year. And that is quite quite extraordinary. It's not something that can be that easily exploited by simple investing strategies, um, albeit it might be something that might um, influence the timing of going into the market if you had money to invest in the market. Uh, it, uh, that effect might dissuade you from dumping all that money into the market in May, perhaps, and it might encourage you to put it into the market in October or November. But as you said, certainly for the, um, the more programmed sort of approach to markets, a lot of these anomalies are best exploited by an algorithmic approach, a probabilistic approach, that a, li that a little bit just um, uh, automatically does these trades day in, day out, week in, with that, week, in week out. And it's... Um, 
on any particular trade, um, it's difficult to say whether it will be profitable. But take um, 10 trades, 20 trades or 50 trades, and the probabilities then become far closer to perhaps what we've seen um, that the patterns have been in the past. Yes, and that's a very interesting point because obviously that is the arrival of these uh, powerful computerized programs that uh, seek out those kind of anomalies uh, and, as you say, uh, make a lot of, of potentially or hopefully small gains, but uh, repeatedly and persistently over a, over a period, um, that it will obviously must have changed the way in which the market actually operates. You would think that um, the fact that there are now these uh, uh, very uh, sophisticated computerized programs out there looking for these anomalies, that should, in theory, make the market um, more efficient, you would think, um, or at least to some of these trends, or cause some of these trends uh, to stop working. How do you think well, that th this is working out? Yes, well, I, th I think that, that that's an excellent point. Uh, really, many of these anomalies should not exist, really. As, as you said, they should be arbitraged away. They, you know, they shouldn't hang around for a long time, but um, particularly the sell-in-may effect, which, okay, that's slightly difficult to um, to exploit, but that's been around. Um, some academic papers have found that has been around since 1694, and um, they found that it actually exists in 36 of 37 developed and emerging markets that they looked at. So it's a persistent anomaly and a wide-ranging and a global one, exactly, yes. And a lot of these um, anomalies shouldn't really, shouldn't really exist. Um, not all of them persist, and so some do sort of move around a little bit, and that might possibly be the influence, either it's just a weak anomaly in the first place, or it could be evidence of people arbitraging um, the anomaly away, one of which is the day of the week effect, which looks at the, um, the relative strength of the market on individual days, and that does drift around a little bit there. Uh, sort of um, that might change every three months or something like that. Um, but there are plenty of other anomalies. For example, something that the Almanac calls the bounce back portfolio, which is whereby one forms a portfolio at the end of the year of the 10 worst performing stocks in the FTSE 350 and then holds that portfolio for the first three months of the following year. And that has had a remarkable um, track record that over the last 10 and 20 years in fact um, just this year if, if one had done that that portfolio would have was up 38 percent 39 percent in fact against a one percent loss in the FTSE 350 index and that's um, but it is a good point that you know why why these anomalies persist they you know they they, they shouldn't do really um, but what, what what they are is they are low a lot of these anomalies sort of offer low profit but low risk strategies um, and I think the attraction of them now is um, because the the markets themselves have changed in the last few years um, famously for for decades the markets were returning an average seven percent um, every every year and when markets return seven seven percent everyone can be happy with that but when that disappears and it's unlikely they're going to go back to that average return. Then you have to get a bit more clever. You have to look around for for where to um, increase performance 
one, you know, by one percent, two percent, and every little increase in performance of one percent is quite valuable now. Um, and that can come from the the, 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 the hopefully the clever, the careful exploit, exploitation of these anomalies. I mean, one of the, one of the, one phenomenon which I think anecdotally one likes to believe, and of course the great the, the great marvel of the stock market is that you can everybody has a has a, a kind of anecdotal or a uh, or a, a kind of uh, the voice of experience um, which makes them believe things, even if the evidence isn't actually mm. there. Mm. But I mean, for the bounce back portfolio, for example, which, as you say, produced a remarkable um, rate of return, particularly over such a short period of time. Um, one explanation you hear is that there is a lot of, um, uh, how, how do one call it, uh, sort of group dynamics towards the end of the year, whereby if you're a professional fund manager, you, you, uh, you're very conscious that the end of the year is coming. And therefore, you look at your portfolio and you might uh, sell some of the things that have done pretty poorly because you don't want to be reporting that you own these things that have done so badly at the end of the year. And therefore, you know, you could put together a story that says, okay, well, people towards the end of the year, they do that, this kind of herding phenomenon. I think it is quite well, well known. And then, so, you know, some things that have done badly will get uh, sold down further than the, you know, their fundamentals justify. And then they, they all come bouncing back, they buy them back in the first week of January. And then, you know, that gives you a little bit of a, a rally in, in those stocks. I mean, that's a perfectly plausible um, explanation, yes, yeah. a partial explanation. But of course, the great thing about statistics, as we say, is, is that most participants in the market are, are, are rather statistics blind, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> and they're easily taken in by, by short term trends that they, you know, assign a narrative to. Whereas, in fact, it might just be random behavior for all we know so if we yes yes I just 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 sort of pick up on on that yes i think there are sort of many beliefs in the market that when you look at the actual data turn out to be wrong um for example there is generally the idea that the market is very volatile in october uh, which it can be. I mean, the reason why it has that reputation is because a couple of the big market crashes in the past, particularly in 1987, for example, happened in happened in October. Uh, but that was only a couple of, and that had, that can have an influence still today on the um, on the statistics when one does the analysis. But that was only a couple of years, and generally in the last decade, um, the market's actually been very strong in October. Um, so it's not particularly a weak month. It's something almost the third or fourth strongest month of the year for the market, and it hasn't necessarily been any more volatile than than any other month. Um, but still, its reputation as a volatile month per- persists to to today. I do think it's 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 a good moment, perhaps, to um, to uh, to recommend to anybody who's listening to this podcast that, in, in addition to looking at these anomalies, which you know of which there are many in your splendid almanac. It'd be quite useful. It's a good. It's a good um, uh, uh, comparative uh, exercise. Also to uh, to read something like um, uh, Tallow's book, "Fooled by Randomness," which uh, which does uh, make the point that a lot of the things that we see happening, we assign a lot of meaning to, and in fact, they may be entirely random outcomes that you would get if you if you just uh, you know threw some dice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here we are. Um, on the 14th of December, um, I wonder if we could uh, perhaps end this uh, conversation, Stephen, with, uh, with having a look at the um, year ahead. Um, there's one uh, phenomena which you uh, which you document known as the uh, the long term formula, 
which you describe as the holy grail of, of stock market analysis. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about the long-term formula and um, what it might tell us about where, the, where uh, if you believe this, the, uh, the stock market uh, in the UK might be um, at the end of next year or two, three years hence. Right, yes, well, the long-term formula is is really a little bit of fun, really. So it's sort of just, that is really is just a bit of fun with statistics. It's what it takes. It takes the um, uh, historic prices of the FTSE All Share Index, looking at those prices from 1920 or 1940. And if you plot those prices, then statistically, you can um, fit a, a, a line of best fit through regression analysis. And having fitted a line of best fit, um, one can extrapolate that out to the to the future. It's a little bit difficult doing this um, uh, with audio here because it would help to show a chart a little bit. The eyes can either convince or deceive. But plotting this, this, this long-term line of best fit through um, uh, the, 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 the long-term chart of the, the, the FTSE uh, or share index, uh, the, chart, the, the line of best fit does fit pretty well how the market has performed, how this index has performed over the last few decades. Now, we can extrapolate that out to make a forecast for where the market, um, where the long-term trend of the market will be in one year hence or five years or 10 years or um, 30 years, something like that. Uh, so uh, using that, using the, um, the the line of best fit from the 1920s, uh, we have the market, uh, let's see what the forecast is here. We've got the forecast that the, um, the FTSE 100 index is actually below its long-term trend value. As of today, it would suggest that the FTSE index should be at 7,600 points, whereas, in fact, we're 700 points below that currently at 6,900. Uh, project that forward to um, the end of 2020, so three years hence, and it's forecasting the FTSE 100 should be 9,000 points, and um, project that further forward, and why not, to 2040, um, 23 years hence, and it's forecasting the, the market, the, the long-term trend of the market will be 31,000 points on the FTSE 100. And that is valid um, if one believes that the long-term trend of the market, i.e. over the last 100 years, uh, is going to continue for the next 30 years or so, broadly. Which is another way of saying that which is another way of saying, in effect, that, um, you know, stocks for the long run, they do tend to uh, produce real returns over long periods of time. But at any one point in time, the market itself may be quite significantly above or below the trend line. But at the moment, it is that's, below the trend line, which is uh, for anybody who's looking forward to 30 that's years. Yeah, currently it's below the trend, trend line and it can spend quite a long time um, above the trend line or below the trend line. But not only, not only um, I suppose this would go a little bit beyond Jeremy Siegel, possibly, who, who, who said stocks go up in the long term. This is not only saying that stocks go up in the long term, but they actually go up um, 
and follow a, a, a long-term trend that can be that can be analysed and 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 plotted. Indeed. Well, on that uh, heartening note, that we uh, that despite. Um a lot of people are telling us that the stock market is currently uh, overvalued and uh, with the bull market is long in the tooth and all yeah. those other uh, familiar voices we hear at the moment. Um, perhaps I just finally end by um, asking you, Stephen, what, um, how do you invest your own money and uh, do you actually find any of these um, uh, anomalies you, you document so, uh, so wonderfully uh, useful uh, for yourself? Well, yes, I, I do. Um, the majority of my money, I, I must admit, is just sitting in um, in funds, in investment trusts, actually. But life would be too boring if one just um, had one's money squirreled away in, in, in funds all the time. So there is a sort of um, the, the, the separate portfolio, the exciting portfolio that um, is used to... Um, um, uh, exploit things, exploit the anomalies like like this. Yes, uh, just to liven life up a little bit. Well, indeed, it would be a, it would be a dull world if uh, the stock market ever became uh, so boring that uh, no one could find at least some space for a bit of right. excitement. <laughs> okay, on that <laughs> right. note, uh, thank you, Stephen, very much. I wish uh, you and all our listeners a very uh, uh, happy and successful uh, twenty seventeen, and uh, we'll look forward to. Uh, perhaps uh, talking again next year and seeing how some of these uh, anomalies have worked out in the months ahead. Many thanks. I'd like to remind listeners that they can listen to other podcasts in the Moneymakers series, either by going to our website, www.money-makers.co, or by looking for the Moneymakers name on iTunes and other podcast channels. Thank you for listening.